We're going to finish the book of Genesis tonight. Wow, what an, what an exciting challenge. 13 chapters, but one story about the man Joseph. We started our study through the book of Genesis looking at the first 11 chapters, four great events, creation, the fall, the flood, and the dispersing of nations all took place in the first 11 chapters. We then uh, took a look, starting in verse 12, at four great people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and tonight, Joseph. Abraham was uh, given a great promise. Last time I taught, I I talked about that promise being being a difficult belief, hard to grasp the, the, uh, uh, the magnitude of that uh, promise. We saw him as a type of the father. In Isaac, we saw a type of Christ. In Jacob, a type of the believer. And uh, and Peter, we saw that his character was transformed, a reason for us to have hope. And his name was changed from heel catcher or supplanter or tricker to peace with God. And that's kind of what we want is peace with God. But Joseph, we'll see him as a type of Christ. But I also kind of, as I was studying him, see him as a mature believer, someone who has come to grips with his relationship with the Lord, no matter what the circumstances are. So in the first, uh, in chapter uh, 12, uh, the first uh, three verses, we saw that great blessing that was given to Abraham. But prior to that, it was all about cursing and judgment. And since then, it's about the promise and blessings. The promise is spoken of throughout the Bible. In Psalms 105, we read, For he remembered his holy promise, and Abraham his servant. He brought out his people with joy, his chosen ones with gladness. He gave them the lands of the Gentile. The promise is spoken about in the New Testament, in Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Hebrews, and Peter. Now this promise was given to Abraham when he was 75 years old. He passed it on to Isaac, was passed on to Jacob, and Jacob would pass it on to his 12 sons, including Joseph. You know, I still think, though, it's a difficult promise to grasp a hold of. I will give you a special land from the Euphrates to the Sinai Desert, from the Mediterranean Sea to the Jordan River. You will be a great nation. Your name will be great. You will be a blessing, and all the nations of the world will be blessed because of you. So let's see what Joseph does with this promise. Now, it's impossible to read all 13 chapters and cover every verse. Okay, so we're going to highlight it, and we're going to look for some uh, pictures of God's sovereign work, and we're going to look for some specific applications from the life of Joseph that you and I can use maybe tomorrow, or maybe even tonight in circumstances that are facing us. More words are given to Joseph than any of the other characters in the Bible. Uh, in the book of Genesis, excuse me. More words than Adam, more words than Noah, more words than Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob are given to Joseph. Yet fewer words are used about Joseph in the rest of the Bible, and the others seem to have more words. I found that quite interesting. The key verse is the last chapter of the Bible, is chapter 50, verse 20. It says, But as for you, you meant this evil, speaking to his brothers, against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. So there was a purpose. There is a sign of the sovereignty of God in the life of Joseph and his providence. And you know, I would like you to think about this as you look at other stories in the Bible. Um, Many stories, and especially this one, the one of Joseph, God seems to put himself in an impossible situation. And yet he finds ways to keep his promises and his covenants and work his way out of it. So in chapter 37, we saw in verse 2, we see in verse 2 that Joseph was very young when his story starts. He was 17. He was loved by his father Jacob. His brothers were very jealous of him in verse 4. He was hated by them, and they couldn't even speak peaceably to him. Could you imagine going home to your family, and it wasn't peaceful? It was always a struggle, and you got to a point to where you couldn't even be reasonable and sensible. You just were at odds all the time. Well, that's the way it seemed to be with Joseph. 
And then you know that he had these dreams where everybody was going to bow down to him. His brothers were going to bow down to him, and then his parents were going to bow down to him. And so he, he goes in verse 12 is where the father comes to him. And I, I like this. This is kind of interesting. Then his brothers went to feed their flocks in Shechem. And Israel sent Joseph, Are you and your brothers feeding the flocks in Shechem? Come and I will send you to them. Now, Dad, these guys don't like me. They hate me. They speak evil of me. I told them the dreams. And then they made fun of me. And look at verse, um, back up at verse 8. So after he told them the dreams, the end of the verse, so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And now dad is sending him out to go check on him and to see how they're doing. Seriously, dad, I don't want to go. So in verse 18, we see that they conspired to kill him. But one of the brothers, Reuben, stepped in and saved him and said, let's not kill him. Let's, let's see what, we, what else we can do. So they cast him into a pit. And Judah stepped up and defended him and said, let's again not kill him. Let's sell him to the traitors that are heading down towards Egypt. Now you Bible scholars and Bible readers, most of you are, know this story pretty well. So I'm going through it pretty quick to find and get some of the highlights that we need to have. And then in verse 31 of chapter 7, they took Joseph's tunic. Here's the alibi. They're going to dip dip that uh, tunic in some animal blood, and they're going to give it back to their dad and say, look what happened. So here's our first practical application from the story of Joseph. God broke Joseph by taking him out of his comfortable circumstances. Have any of you ever had it together? Things were going right. The rental houses were rented. The job was looking good. The kids were behaving. Bank account had a little extra money in it. Just got a new car. Things are just going right. Well, God took Joseph out of that comfortable possession, loved by his dad, a coat of many colors, the, the guy that was just cherished by his father, and took him out of that position, threw him in a pit, and sends him off on this trip. Putting him into uncomfortable circumstances and stretching him and doesn't God often break us before he can use us haven't all of us been through a trial and then after that trial God opens a ministry for us haven't we sometimes stretched and taken a step out for God and as soon as we do we start to be attacked we start to have circumstances changed and all of a sudden it's a troubling time so that's what's happened with Joseph he's been taken out of his comfortable circumstances. He's going to learn, we're going to see, that God was with him. Chapter 39, we look at um, Joseph going, uh, and and the evil is turned to good. So let's read the first few verses of chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him for his from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in the sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of of his house, and all that he had he put under his hand. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of the house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. And Joseph was handsome in form and appearance." Joseph's captivity, God turns it into good. Wow. When everything looks good, watch out. Joseph seems to be at the top of his game right now. I am in charge of this whole house, all of these possessions, these servants, these fields. Look at verse 1 and 2, and look how close Moses, when he wrote this down, when the Holy Spirit gave it to us. In verse 1 it says, Joseph was brought down to Egypt. But followed up in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Jehovah was with him. And this is making the sense that this is more of a sequel than a surprise. This is something that's being said like, this was just who Joseph was. 
the Lord was with him. It's talking about their relationship. Brought to Egypt was no accident. Joseph recognizes this and will continue throughout his story. But this brings us to a second thing that we have to look at. Things that affect us all. Circumstances of our lives. Don't we all have circumstances? Some of us have circumstances right now. Some might be dealing with something about their health. Some may be dealing with something about finances. Others might be having problems with relationships or circumstances are there. And that's why we have circumstances and God. Do we have God in our circumstances or do we wait until those circumstances weigh on us so much that we finally get to a place of crying out? He had those dreams. Everybody was going to be bowing down to him and his family. Now, how in the world is that going to come true now while I'm down here in the land that is far from where my home is? I'm in a strange country. I'm cut off from my father. I'm with strangers. And I've lost my freedom because I'm still a slave to this master. So here Joseph is with circumstances, asking questions, wanting to know what's going to happen. And then continuing on with the story, Potiphar's wife cast longing or your Bible may say loving eyes at him. He refused. He said, you know, I've been given everything in this house but you, and I can't do it. Besides that, it would be a sin against God. In verse 10, it has an interesting verse that I thought. It says that he went in day by day, and day by day she went after him. Well, Joseph stopped going there. Don't go there every day. Or if you go there, take somebody with you. Or if you go there, make sure that there's a whole company with you. If Guys, if you're going someplace and there's somebody after you, don't go there. Don't go there day after day after day. If there's something on your computer that can trap you and, can, and catch you, don't go there day after day after day. Put a stop to it. Find a way to put a stop to it. But he kept doing he never succumbed, but she couldn't handle it, so she tried to grab him, took his robe, and then lied about what happened, and her husband put him in prison. So verse 19. Um, so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. Verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the, sights of the keeper, in, in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Her husband puts him in prison. Now, he was in charge of the whole house. He had the keys to everything. I'm sure this guy trusted at him, and, he, and the guy must have also known his wife. Why doesn't it seem like Joseph got a day in court? Why didn't he get a chance to talk through this with his master? His wife was able to prevail and put him in jail. I imagine he was surprised. So here's a, a third little application we can get. Here it says, but the Lord. What great words. Now this is different than the Lord was with him, like we saw in verse 2. This is kind of like more of a surprise. Joseph is on top of his game. He's running the house. And all of a sudden, one hour, one afternoon, one day, he's in prison. The other situation was he was in a pit. He was being transported to Egypt. He, he got down there and he, and he came out. And the Lord was with him in that. So there were different situations. So here it's kind of quick. But God showed him that he was still with him in prison. And note that it says there in verse 21 that the Lord gave him mercy and favor with man. The Lord gave him favor with man. I think that's really important. For those of you who work somewhere, you want to have favor with your employer, pray that the Lord would give that to you like he did to Joseph. That's where it comes from. Not going to come from you uh, always being there first, always doing things right. I mean, that helps. But pray. Do supernatural things. Pray that that will happen. Stephen, in his great sermon in Acts chapter 7, said this, And the patriarchs, became, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him, and he delivered him out of all his troubles. And he gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house, 
whole, all his house. So thousands of years later, his story is still being told by Stephen there in Acts chapter 7. I think that's another thing that we can do. How many of you have a but the Lord in your story? How many of you could tell me a story, part of your life, this is what was going on, these were my circumstances, but the Lord came in and saved the day. Tell, tell that story. And if you don't have one of those yet, tell Joseph's story. Learn it so well that you can tell Joseph's story. Let me tell you a story about this guy. And then learn to paraphrase and learn to tell his story. So chapter 40, the butler and the baker put in prison. But Joseph is in charge of them. So let's read the first few verses, the first five verses here. And it came to pass that that after these things, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them so they, could, so they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in prison, dreamed a dream, both of them, each man's dream, in one night, and each man's dream with his own interpretation. So there we are, the butler and the baker. They had these dreams, and Joseph comes along and interprets the, the dreams. But he's careful there in verse 8 to say, And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. He's not taking credit for it. He knows where it's going to come from. It comes from the Lord. In verses um, 9 to 19, the dreams are told. Joseph interprets them. And in verses 20 to 22, the dreams come true. In verse 23, we read at the end of chapter 40, Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So Joseph is not remembered. How frustrating that must have been for Joseph. I helped you guys. I told you what was going to happen. You know the story. You know the dreams. They came true. Why didn't you remember me? He was the ruler of Potiphar's entire state. Now he's been thrown in jail. Now he's been made the ruler over the jail. And now he's been forgotten. Up and down. Circumstances this guy is going through. Do you know that his name isn't always Butler? The person that forgets, that forgets you? Have you ever had somebody make your promise and then forget to deliver it? Have you ever made a promise? A sincere promise. And forgot to deliver it. You know a sincere promise is of no value if it's not delivered. But so often we can easily forget the promises that we made when we make them. How about those prayers that you've prayed to the Lord? Lord, if you will just help me in this situation, I promise. And then fill in the blanks. How many of us have made those prayers before? So Joseph in chapter 41 is restored again. It came to pass after two full years of being forgotten. Joseph must have been an amazing guy. Can you imagine going through all these things? The pit, being sold to the traders, going into becoming a great person, then going to jail, then being forgotten for two years. I mean, wouldn't you be asking questions? Why, God, what are you doing to me? Why are all these things happening? What's going on? So Pharaoh tells of his dreams. And you know the dreams really well. Seven years, seven, seven cows, seven stocks. They, they um, are, are healthy and then they're not healthy. And it talks about the dreams. So Pharaoh tells the dreams, but he's unable to find anyone to interpret those dreams. Then the cupbearer, the butler, finally remembers Joseph and the interpretation of his dream and the dreams that came true for him and the baker. So in verses 15 to 36, Pharaoh called for Joseph to come and interpret his dream. And then in verse 16, note that once again, Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not for me, God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And then remember back in 40 verse 8, it was God um, who brings the interpretations of those dreams. Constantly giving the credit to God. Joseph interpreted the king's dreams for telling of the coming seven years of abundance, great abundance, and the following seven years of famine. And Joseph proceeded to tell Pharaoh 
what should be done. And then let's pick up the story at chapter 41, verse 37. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and over my people. You shall be ruler according to all your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he, and he had him ride in the second chariot, which he, which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zanaphanai, and he came and he, and he gave him as a wife, Asherah, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And there, in the next verse, it says Joseph was only 30 years old. The advice was good to Pharaoh, and Joseph was promoted again. Where before he was only the overseer over one man's estate, he is now the the, uh, overseer of the entire nation. In verse 38, it talks about a man in whom the Spirit of God is. This was the impression that Joseph made up on Pharaoh. Wow, I hope I could make some impressions like that. He sees Joseph as the instrument of God. This is amazing considering Joseph's path to get here. Been in a pit, been in prison twice, and brought to Egypt and sold as a slave. Sold as a slave, in prison twice, and yet Pharaoh sees him as... Uh, a man with the spirit of God is in him but through it all he maintained a loyalty to God of his fathers and he had that when he was brought before the Pharaoh it's not me but God will do it so our application how did Joseph get to be recognized and known as a man who had the spirit of God in him It's exactly the same way that you and I would do it today. Time with God, time in his word, prayer, and fellowship. Joseph must have had a relationship with the Lord. He must have been recalling the stories of the early part of Genesis that had been passed on to him through his his father and from from his father's father and so on. He must have been spending time in prayer and he must have had fellowship with him. So how do we get people today in our culture to see us, to see you, Frank, and say, in him is the Spirit of God? Wouldn't that be great if somebody came up to you and said, I see something in you. What is it? And you can say, well, I have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe that's what you see. Let me tell you about that. But that's what Pharaoh saw in Joseph. In verses 46 to 47, Joseph is now 30. He's over all of Egypt. He managed the the food supply well. And let's read verses 56 and 57. 57. The The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold it to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe in all the land. Remember the promise that all the nations of the world would be blessed? Now we know there's a universal blessing there that talks about the day when the Lord Jesus would come and all the nations would be blessed because of a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. But there's also sometimes near prophecies. Here's a prophecy where the seed of Abraham is actually blessing a nation. Um, 
So he is taking care of Egypt, and Egypt is being blessed. Um, Dave or someone, could you guys turn the, turn the air conditioners off a little bit? It looks like people are getting a little cold out there. So, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to keep you awake, but uh, I don't want you. I don't want you freezing. Um, it was hot when things started. So, so there's three questions that I came up with in this part of the story that I thought maybe I'd have you take a look at. There is no mistake where God has you. There's no mistake in your job. There's no mistake in the church you go to. There's no mistake in the ministry that you have. There's no mistake for those of you who serve on elder boards that that's where you belong. There's no mistake with the relationships that you have with those people. Remember that Joseph has been in a pit, a slave, been in prison and been forgotten. And now he is the top government official of the land. So he's been from the pit to the top. So the first thing I see in that is allow the Lord to use you where you are. Why do we get so caught up sometimes with wanting to be somewhere else? Oh man, if, I would, if they would just ask me to teach in the men's group and let me have a four-week study. I know that I could really do something for the Lord. Oh, if Mary would just tap me on the shoulder and say, I want you to teach the whole month of September for the ladies' ministry. Okay? Why do we have to be looking at something else? Where are you planted? What ministry do you have right now? If you play the keyboard, play it to the glory of God. Praise God. Be useful exactly where, the, where you are. Joseph, Joseph was useful in prison. Joseph was use, useful in the house of the official. He's being useful now as the top government official. So how are you allowing God to use you right where you are? Right where you are. Let God use you right there. Don't always be looking for some other place to be used. Second question. There's often a delay before seeing God work through us. Joseph has those dreams. He's thrown in a pit. He's on his way to Egypt. How in the world is this all going to happen? There's a delay. He tells the story to the baker and the, and the cup bearer. And then there's a two-year delay. Delays sometimes are the necessary part of spiritual preparation. Sometimes God just needs us to wait a certain time. Now do you see God's hand in the delays in your life? And then you have to sometimes be ready to move when God says move. And if you won't move, he'll excite you to move. He'll figure out a way to get you going. Um, I, I know a lady who was with, with me, my beautiful bride. We took, her, we took her rest. We had been ministering for 18 years down at Calvary Costa Mason by leading a home fellowship. She was the hostess every week. I was the teacher. We had um, you know, 20, 25 people in our house every single Tuesday or Wednesday night. I don't remember which it was. We split the home group a couple times. Healthy splits, you know, the kind of like a cell splitting, a good split, and, and passed on other leadership to do that. And it was just a great ministry. But when we moved to the mountains in 1995, we decided to call a timeout and take a break. And so we did. We just decided not to get involved in church, not to get overloaded with, with church. We still went to Costa Mesa for our church. And, but we just kind of took it easy. We kind of rested there. And so we were kind of struggling with, should we get started? Should we find a local church? What should we do? And uh, we weren't moving along as fast as the Lord wanted us to move. So Mary broke both her wrists. Okay? And so while she, while she was recovering from this with two casts on her wrists sitting in a chair... All she could do, and all the Lord would have her do, was read the book of Philippians, read the book of Philippians, read the book of Philippians. So, we still don't know what we're going to do. So, our daughter calls her and says, Mom, I want you to go down and have a facial and get your nails done, still in the cast and everything like that, okay? <laughs> and so she goes over here to the village, goes in to get a facial, and while she's getting the facial, the lady starts talking to her about a Bible study. The next thing you know, she's helping in a Bible study. The next thing you know, she's doing that. And then eventually the Bible study that a lot of you ladies are serving came out of that. So the delay was necessary. The rest was necessary. Sometimes it's good. So don't panic if you're in prison for a couple years, okay? Or if the, if the butler forgot you. 
Third, Joseph's life teaches us that disappointments are vital to spiritual growth. Now we've all, I know we've all learned this one, that sometimes people disappoint us, sometimes our church disappoints us, sometimes just everybody disappoints us sometimes. But they're vital to spiritual growth. Because they demand faith and resting all hope upon God. And so often in ministry, we come to places where we just don't see how this thing is going to work out. We don't see what's happening. And sometimes even when we have our whole heart involved in a ministry, we see it like, why is it such a struggle? Why is it being so hard for us? And... um, because, uh, because they demand faith and resting all hope upon God, Ray Edmund wrote this, Delay never thwarts God's purpose. It, it only polishes his instruments. How is God polishing you? How is God polishing you? Um, I wasn't going to share this, but I think I will. I'll try to get through this. I've had a set of circumstances in the last few weeks that were just very, very unusual. I serve on the board at Calvary Costa Mesa, and the board had received a couple letters from uh, disgruntled families from our school in the wrestling department. And they were pretty strongly written letters. And so um, I went over to the school, and the school says, you know, we got a couple more letters from some other families. And so you put those together, four or five. These two were written to the board, so they had to be dealt with. And then I went over to the church, and the church had received a couple letters. And then I went in to see Pastor Brian, and he says, yeah... He says, Mike, could you handle this one for me? And I said, well, well why, do you, why do you want me to handle this? Well, you know, the guy they're writing about, he's my friend. And he's been there 18 years. And so Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa is well known for its wrestling program. State champions, uh, nine out of ten years, seven in a row. Uh, they're just really known. They were called the Church Boys. And there was a season from the 90s to the early 2000s where they were just really well known. And this coach had come out of it in there, so there was this, all this pressure. So I went and met the coach. I, I called all these families in. I'm meeting these five families. They're telling me the stories. They're credible people, you know, and I'm listening to them. It's like Pastor Gary came into me and said, hey, this is the truth. And I said, okay. So I go back to, to Pastor Brian. I said, Brian, that's, that's pretty bad. We're going to have to do something. He says, well, just keep working on it for me. He says, I know you can handle it. And I said, okay. I said, not, it's not looking very good. So then I'm talking to the coach. He says, well, here's a bunch of letters I got from friends and families who love me and think that I'm the greatest and so on and so forth so I get all this and I'm trying to speed it up for you so it doesn't take all night but we get through it I take it to the board and I make the presentation the board says we have to let him go he can't be here and there was an assistant coach who hadn't called any of this thing out so we, we went over on the, the Monday before last and we let the, the two coaches go and it was like sucking the air out of a balloon like a, one of those big balloons that you just fall to the ground it's like Wow, because this program was, was going so well. And so we told them, you know, we're not going to argue with you whether this belongs to you or to the church because they had a club called Team Thunder and that was it. So they bring in the truck and they start loading everything up. And I mean, they don't just take a little bit of stuff. They're taking the weights and the weight room equipment and the mats and the things on the walls. And they're just going out there with this big truck. And that was all day last Monday. And so... Um, we, we were going to give them a week. We said, you know what? You guys are over there. You're bad-mouthing me. You're bad-mouthing Brian. You're bad-mouthing the church. This just can't go on. So circumstances, right? I'm sitting there saying, oh, man, what did I do? You know, because and Brian, I'm trying to keep Brian informed. Oh, and I told, I told the coaches last Monday, or the Monday before last, when Pastor Brian got on the plane to go to Creation Fest. No, he's in, he's in England ministering for the next three weeks. And I'm sitting there while, while he's gone. So, so we're, we're looking at this. So we tell him, you know, you got to get out tomorrow. you got to be out completely by Tuesday. So Tuesday about lunchtime, I come back and I go into the office building across from the, where the wrestling place was. And here's the truck parked there and people are still carrying stuff. And I sat down and I just I started to cry. I just said, you know what? What did I do? Is this, is this the right thing to do? Because well, what's going to happen here? This, the, this great program that we had, you know, we're talking about starting with a brand new coach, a brand new program. All of the good wrestlers that we had in the last couple years have all moved over to different high schools and they're all going like that. And I'm just kind of feeling beside my, myself. And then I give a text message. And the text message comes from a guy called Dave Rolfe. You might have heard of him before. He was at our church for 30-some years. He was superintendent of uh, schools. Um, he went to pastor's own church in Aliso Viejo. He's on the radio at 1 o'clock. Uh, he, he's been around the church forever, uh, was a good friend, and so on and so forth. And he writes us this message. 
He says, hey guys, this is at uh, 152 on Tuesday. And I'm sitting out looking at the window at all the stuff being loaded in this truck. Hey guys, been praying for you. I just heard that Dane Valdez was probably applying at Calvary as a resting coach and teacher. That would be unbelievable. Now I have no idea who Dane Valdez is, okay? Dane Valdez and his twin brother Shane were a huge reason why Calvary Wrestling was so blessed. They set the godly influence of the team back then and were responsible for the nickname Church Boys. They were both state champions and went on to be All-Americans at Oklahoma. If you hire Dane, you get Shane thrown in. They are both elite, they are both elite wrestlers and coaches, and no one has ever said a bad word about either one. If they came, it would be a huge event in the wrestling world, and funding and wrestlers would follow instantly. The return of the Valdez twins to Calvary would be the biggest Calvary Chapel High School sports news ever. Amen. And people would be instantly forgot. The, and people would instantly forget the good and the bad news with the person's name who left. The potential is exciting, and would make you, make your new athletic director look like a genius. <laughs> so wait a minute, story's not over. So yesterday, I can't stand it any longer. I asked Linda, we went to a play and dinner, and I asked Linda, I said, Linda, where's your son? I've been texting him. He answered me, oh, he's doing a wedding. So I finally got an answer back from him. I said, I had asked him, did, we, did the coach accept the job? Because they did have the interview, and he said yes. And so tomorrow, we'll make it public. So, uh, so what God told me in that message is, Mike, I got this. I got this. And so often in our circumstances, we forget that. So whether you're being polished, whether you feel forgotten, or whether things are just delayed, God is in control. And that's what you want to get to. You want to get to to God in circumstances. So in chapters 42 to 45, we see the restoring of Joseph and his family. And what a great story. What a great love story of God's love and his protection. Joseph's ten brothers sent to Egypt to buy food. <laughs> I like verse 6 of chapter 42. Uh, Joseph's brothers, at the end of the verse, brothers, Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him, their faces to the earth. And then in verse 13, And then they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. They think he's dead. Now, why didn't they just say we're 11 brothers? One's with our dad. Why did they have to do this? Because truth wins out. And they're going to be found out sooner or later the truth wins. So in verse 21, we see that they're feeling guilty. And they think they're going to be punished. And then 34, the request for Benjamin. Verse verse 34, and bring your youngest brother to me so I shall know that you are not spies. And then in verse 36, Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. He's in prison waiting for, for Benjamin to come. And you want to take Benjamin away? All these things are against me. So, so Jacob is just going through a terrible, terrible time while they're trying to put uh, this family back together. So in chapter 43, we see in verse 14, Jacob's prayer. And may God Almighty give you mercy before this man, that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. In verse 15, they all stand before Joseph And then in verse 23, he declares, Your God has done this. But he said, Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given your treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And then in verse 33, he sat them in order by birth. I think that's neat. Could you imagine? Okay, you know, Reuben, you look like the oldest. You're kind of old guy. You sit there first. Okay, Simeon, you're, you're, yeah, you're next. But then when you get four or five or six or seven of them right, and then you get them all right, that, that had to be an amazing scene. I'd love to write the, uh, the score for that or the uh, screenplay. That would be a, a, a great scene. In chapter 44, they send them back with the grain and the money. 
But this time, Joseph's cups in Benjamin's sack. And Judah comes in and pleads for him in verse 18, chapter 44, verse 18. Then Judah came in near to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. And he goes on and tells him why he needs to defend, why he needs to take care of Benjamin. And he goes down in verse 32, he actually gives a pledge. He says, For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of my lad as a a slave to my Lord. So Joseph is starting to see that his his brother, especially uh, Judah, is having um, a, a good thing about him, and he's trying to do what's right. Judah, remember, was the one who said, let's not kill him. So he was the one that kept him saved. And then in chapter 45, Joseph could not hold back any longer. And don't you just love this this part of the story? So chapter 45, verses 1 through 10. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Ephesians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near me. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by this great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me but here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hasten and go up to my father and say to him, Thus saith your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. Wow, what a great story. You know, he hasn't exonerated the brothers yet. They, that hasn't taken, taken place. But he did show that God overruled what they did. And they were even instruments in his hand because it was all part of God's plan in those circumstances. Faith looks up and believes in God, however dark the day. It looks on assured that the divine purposes will be accomplished, however adverse the circumstances you know, this is the outlook that we should have. Want another application? Do you have that uplook that everything's going to be okay no matter what your circumstances are, no matter how dark the day is? Are you assured that God is in control? I know there's times when I ask myself, God, do you really have this? Do you re-? I did on that wrestling thing. I was really sitting there saying, what in the world? You know, Pastor Brown will be back in a couple weeks. We don't even have a wrestling. What's going to happen? But God reassured me. But there was a time when I was really questioning if I had done the things. I did what was right. That was the important thing. I knew that I did what was right. And so, we're so we're, we're, we'll be excited to see how that plays out. And that's so important. In chapters 46 and 47, Jacob and his family settle in Egypt. He sacrifices before he comes, and he has a word, and he hears the word from God. So that's in verses, in chapter 46, um, the first three verses. So Israel took the journey with him, with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to God of his father Isaac. God spoke to Israel in the vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. In verse 27, we read, And the sons of Joseph were there born to him in Egypt, were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob were uh, to go to Egypt were 70. Well, you can count 70 people. But the promise said, you'd be uncountable, like the sand of the sea or the stars of the sky. I can count to 70. 
So there's still a difficult belief here. There's still something to go. And remember the rest of the promise? Here, Joseph is helping to fulfill the promise. He's bringing his family to Egypt. He's settling the family in Egypt where they're going to become fruitful and multiply, and they will become a great nation. But do you remember the other part of the promise? This is the part we tend to forget. In Genesis 15, uh, 13 and 14, we read, And he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them, affect them, afflict them 400 years. And also the nations whom they serve, I will judge. Afterwards they shall come out with great possession. Now here's Joseph, top governor. His family's coming back together. They're all safe. They're going to be fed. They're going to grow into this nation. He has no idea of what 400 years looks like. He has no idea of what's going to happen with getting this nation out of here and how we're going to judge Egypt. But he knows that promise. He knows it's there. That's coming in Exodus. That's our next book. We're going to figure all that out as we read through the, through the book. I would suggest that the pace we're going, if you just took, made a habit of reading one chapter a day, you'd probably stay up with kind of where we're teaching from. So if you start with Exodus next week, just read one chapter a day. And when Pastor Brandon teaches next week, something will probably be taken from those, seven, those first seven chapters. A family to a nation in a foreign land, there'll be slaves. Circumstances for sure that they're going to have to be out of. So, so the Egyptian land is given to Jacob. And then in verses chapters 48 to 50, Jacob's blessing and prophecies, death of Jacob and Joseph. Uh, Jacob blesses uh, Joseph and his sons. And then Jacob prophesies over his son, the 12 tribes of Israel, Israel, which will eventually possess the land. But you know what? Each of these promises or each of these prophecies come true. Do you want a tough Bible study? I challenge you to study the Bible and find out where those prophecies are fulfilled. Take a look at the prophecies of Jacob over his sons and then go into the history and find where what happened to Simeon, what happened to him. It's a, it's a challenging study. But verses 8 to 10 are the most important part of the prophecy in chapter 49. And that's about Judah. Judah, you are in whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, the sons and have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion, as a lion who shall rouse up. The sceptre shall never depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. And of course, a prophecy about the Messiah coming. Verse 28, Jacob blessed his sons, and Jacob dies. In chapter 50, Joseph's brothers are worried. Now what? Dad's gone. So let's look at the end of the of this story, starting with verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and will actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, hey, before dad died, he commanded. Boy, you know how many, you know, Pastor Chuck said I've heard since he's been passed away? I have had so many people come and talk to me about things Pastor Chuck told them, that they were going to be given this ministry or they were going to be given that, uh, that particular um, um, ministry to take care of and stuff like that. But, you know, this, this, they're doing the same thing here. Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sins, for they did, they did evil to you. Please forgive the trespasses of your servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went in and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. For am I in the place of God? Question mark. But as for you, you meant it, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones and be comforted. And, and he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. 
As we conclude the story of Joseph's life, we see really the story of God keeping his promises, being in control, being sovereign, and being providing for his chosen people. From the very opening of the story in chapter 37, we see the projecting of a kingship and many specific pictures of Joseph as a type of Christ. He's a favored son. He's hated and rejected by his brothers. Yet through faithfulness and suffering, he ascends to the highest throne, just like Jesus did. And God will pull off the impossible through a seemingly insignificant Jew, just a carpenter, rejected by his own brothers. Now, there's a whole list of comparisons of the story of Jesus, Joseph, and Jesus. I I made copies of this for you, so I'll put it on the back right after uh, we're done. So Joseph was loved by his father. God said to Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Joseph's brothers rejected his right to rule. The Jewish leader said, we will not have this man rule over you. Joseph's brothers conspired against him. They took counsel against Jesus. They stripped Joseph of his garments. They stripped Jesus in Matthew 27. So it goes on and on. It's 21 different ones. I think it's real interesting. So if you want a copy of it, it'll be in the back after church. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of our consequences. Lord, we need to know that. We need to understand that. We need to believe that. And so, Father, I don't know what consequences we are facing tonight as a church, as individuals. I know my consequences that I'm facing, and so I have to trust in you to deliver me, as you did Joseph, over and over and over again. And so, Lord, we should find comfort in that. Lord, some of us have difficult things facing us in the next day or two, some this week. Some of us have things facing us this week we don't know about yet. So, Lord, help us to know that you are the God of circumstances, our circumstances, and that you want our best. You're going to provide for us. You're going to take care of us. In Jesus' name, amen. During this next song of worship, uh, at the back of each of the aisles, we have communion elements there, the uh, body of Christ and the cup. And we would ask you to go back when you feel led to pick those up and take them during this song.